Romans 8, which you'll find in the Church Bibles on page 1134, and we're going to read two extracts, starting at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the, fle- sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now we move on to verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think there's only one possible response to that reading and that is for us all to say together hallelujah. So let's say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just bow our heads and pray. Father, as we come to your word and such an exciting part of it, we want to uh, open our hearts and our minds to be touched afresh, challenged anew, that we might follow you, love you, and walk with you day by day. In your name. Amen. Uh, This series sort of follows hard on the heels of that we've just uh, completed. Uh, And you'll see why uh, in due course. And I hope that as many of the uh, those that help in in kids' work are are here today. Because the example I want to give, I'm actually going to end with looking at, uh, at someone who has made a difference in other people's lives because of Christ. Uh, And I particularly want you to hear uh, that message. As I said, uh, it comes, the the title of the series comes from the book If by Mark Batterson. Uh, When I heard him and Marion heard him, he was actually talking about his other book, which is called uh, The Circle Maker, because he is based in Washington, D.C., 
Uh, and specifically, his church is an old theatre on Capitol Hill. So you've got the Capitol building, if you don't know Washington, you've got Capitol uh, building right on top of the hill at one end, which is the government offices. Uh, then you go down Capitol Hill, uh, past the needle, White House is halfway down, and you've got the Lincoln Memorial at the bottom. So this strip is the centre of government, it's the centre of power for the whole of America. And his church is in the middle. And he's also uh, got a coffee shop. So if you're there, go to Ebenezer's, that's their coffee shop. And their HQ is, is above that. They started in Central Station, uh, actually in the Central Station in New York. Uh, and they've now got uh, about five different churches, I think, around Washington. And I think they've gone into Germany and, uh, and so on. So this... This has gone on, and he walked a circle around Capitol Hill frequently. Uh, and that's where the, the book The Circle Maker comes from. If he wants something, he walks a circle. He's, he kneels to pray in the middle of his circle, and he prays very specifically uh, for something. But in this book, If, he bases his thoughts around the eighth chapter of Romans. And as, I, as I've said, the subtitle trading your if-only regrets or changing your if-only regrets to God's what-if possibilities. And we all know that feeling of if-only. If you were a New Zealander or Australian, you would definitely know the if-only regret. If only we'd got Ben Stokes out, it would have been so different. if only. If only we'd left earlier, we wouldn't have been in that accident. If only I'd done that, I would have made my fortune. So much of our life is wrapped up with that silly little phrase, if only. But alongside it comes that feeling of regret, of something that perhaps we've missed. If only. How many history programmes have you watched uh, where they're talking about what hasn't happened. Not that many, I suspect. History, our memories, is all about what we've done. My son is, uh, my older son anyway, is now married, as I'm sure you know. He met his uh, wife on a bus in Thailand. She's American. Uh, they met on a bus in Thailand. They had four hours together, and then they left. Two weeks later, they bumped into each other in a bar a thousand miles away. If only that hadn't happened. But the alternative is, what if that happened? What if I spoke to that girl on the bus? What if I bumped into her again? I wonder what, how she would feel. The purpose, therefore, of the book and of this series is to move us from those if-only regrets to the what-if possibilities. But there is a series of steps that we're going to be taken through. There is the if-only regret, but then there's the as-if as if someone or something within us takes over. It is 
as if someone was walking with me, as if someone was prompting me, as if someone spoke on my behalf, as if I was in their shoes. Who could that person be? And that's the what if. What if I was doing something in the new strength of another person? What if I was doing something because God had asked me to? What if I step out because I feel that God wants me to do it? And then, of course, we come to the no ifs. Because we're then living a different life in a different way, for a different purpose, to a different end. No ifs, no buts. We're walking the way of God. I went uh, uh, just a few years ago now to uh, see the, what's called the DDO, the director, a diocesan director of ordinance, because I, I didn't actually know he was that person, stupidly. Um, but I went there because I wanted to uh, do a bit more theology. Uh, and Peter Lavelle, who some of you will know, said, you really ought to go and see William Chalice. Great guy. Uh, he'll talk to you about that and, and actually some other things as well. So I went and spoke to him. That was in the November. Uh, by the February, I'd been put forward for a bishop's advisory panel to train for ordination. I went with, if only... If only I knew a little bit more about theology. Three or four months later, I was saying, what if I went forward for ordination? That's the movement from if only to what if. The as if in the middle is given by God. Because we can only be new people because of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And that's the bit about the middle of Romans 8. We move in the power of the Spirit. We walk in the power of the Spirit. It is as if God was working through us. What could we do if we walked in the power of the Spirit of God? If every single person here today went out tomorrow as if they were walking the presence of God, what could we do for this world? And we do. That's exactly what we do. And so, what if? Mark Batterson says this about what if. Uh, Dreams are created twice. The first is spiritual... The second creation is physical, but they always start with what if. What if you knew that you couldn't fail? What would you do? What if time and money weren't an object? What God-sized goal would you go after? If you're looking for an excuse, you'll always find one. The same is true of opportunity. And if you can't find one, you can make one. Maybe it's time to quit asking why and ask why not. Can we trust in God? Can we trust in God? Let's just have a look again at one of those verses in Romans 8. Verse 31. 
What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8 is a full explanation of the gospel of Christ. It's something, as I said, of a a fulcrum around which the the book rests. Uh, And we saw from those um, sort of scribbled notes uh, earlier that it gives us an introduction to Romans. This is a letter from Paul to the people of Rome. It was a church already in existence, but as we saw, it had been split between the Gentiles and those Jews returning. And he wants to bring it together so that he can then visit Rome and from there move on to Spain. And we could see that the, uh, the book, or the Romans, was setting out the standard required by God. As I said right at the beginning, he cannot change his standards. He is pure. He is perfect. And the Jews thought that they had it. The Gentiles thought they were outside. And Paul is saying we're all together and we're all the same in the sight of God. And yet the law cannot get us to the point that we need to be. It is only the power of God that can do that. The law can say where we've gone wrong. It can't make us right again. So we come to Romans 8. Uh, And if I may, I'm just going to split this down into three sections very quickly, just as an overview. It's where we are, where we should be, and where we could be. So where we are, the if only, if you like, Paul says that the law shows us where we've gone wrong and the law makes us aware of our guilt and inadequacy, but it can't make us better. The law reveals our sin, but is powerless to change us. Christ, however, has the the ability and the freedom from the law through the power of his spirit in verse 3. And so we are asked a question, how do we live? Do we live by the law which he refers also to as the flesh. So do we live by our own rules, the rules of the world, or do we live by the rules of the Spirit of God? And of course we should be living by that Spirit, because the Spirit gives life through righteousness. We are called the righteous of God. We're called to be alive. This is the second part. Alive in the Spirit of God. And in verse 14, he says that it's those that walk in the Spirit of God who are alive because they are his children. And he says that if you're a child, you inherit from your father. And if you inherit from your father, you are then uh, a promise. Uh, You are promised the kingdom of God. We are inheritors together of the kingdom of God. The world uh, waits for its liberation and we do also in eternal life. We have that hope and in the meantime we walk, we live, we breathe, we have our being in the spirit of God. God, as it says in verse 28, works for the good of those that love him. 
And as we walk with God, so we change our circumstances because we've changed our perspective. As we read a moment ago, and we may not feel that we're worthy for any of this, but the point is of what we've read, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so thirdly, God himself took that what-if step. He looked at the world and he said, if only they would listen to me. If only they would follow my uh, laws, but they don't. If only they would see what heaven looks like, but they didn't. We don't. And so he took that what-if step. If they can't see what heaven looks like, then heaven will have to go down to them. And heaven came in the presence of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from his love because he has come to show us himself. So I suspect already you're beginning to see where this fits with our previous uh, series and how when we looked at individual Christians they made a difference because they put their life on the line for Christ. So I'm going to ask you a question uh, from his book. What do Billy Graham, the Campus Crusade for Christ founder Bill Bright, the Young Life founder Jim Rayburn, the Navigators founder Dawson Trotman, and the former Senate cha- chaplain Richard Halverson have in common? Steph, I'm looking to you. You're American. You should know this, obviously. <laughs> what do those people have in common? Has anyone heard of Henrietta Mears? I'm assuming the answer is no. Now this is a point for all those that help in our kids' groups at whatever age. The answer is a woman called Henrietta Mears who was their Sunday school teacher. If the kingdom of God were a multi-level marketing pyramid, each of them would lead to Henrietta Mears. Perhaps that's why Christianity Today dubbed her the grandmother of us all. When Henrietta was 38 years old, she moved from Minnesota to a burgeoning town called Hollywood in California. Her what-if was the Sunday school at the First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood, which Henrietta led for four decades to an astounding attendance of six and a half thousand students. She faithfully devoted herself to her passion of building a cradle-to-grave Sunday school. And while she was at it, she also started a publishing company called Gospel Light and a conference centre called Forest Home. And she wrote a book, What the Bible is All About, which has sold more than three million copies. It's impossible to estimate how many millions of people have heard the gospel through the collective efforts of her protégés. It was her passion for Christ that fueled those pupils' fire. 
he then gives various examples. But let's just take the ministry of Bill Bright, Campus Crusade for Christ, now called CRU. At the last count, CRU had 20,000 full-time staff, 663,000 trained volunteers in 181 countries. The ministry offshoots include Athletes in Action, Student Venture, the Jesus Film Project. An estimated 3.4 billion people have heard the gospel through CIU. All because of a Sunday school teacher. Does that not impact you? What if, what if I set up a group called Chatterbox? And the people that came through those doors were so touched by the love of God through what I was doing that they went out and they created something else. And they created something else. And they created something else. And you see how it works. What if I did that for God? We do not need to be superhuman Christians, ready to take on the world, destroy the foe. God's already done that. He just wants us to live as if we recognise that he's done that. I sometimes wonder whether we're living in fear and and oppression rather than freedom and opportunity. Do we want to live in fear of going wrong, of being isolated, rejected? Do we want to live in that state of oppression where we feel that the world has won, that they're going to look at me and put me down? Or do we want to live in the freedom from restriction? And alive to the opportunity that God brings. One question I'll leave you with, perhaps, and then I'm just going to read something from the message. My question Are we one decision away from a completely different life? Will we look back and say, if only? Or are we going to look forward and say, What if? I just want to finish with uh, the last few verses that Sheila read, but from the message. Because we don't feel ourselves able very often, do we? So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of his God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. 
Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying, threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. And the people can only respond one way. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Let's pray. Heavenly Father, hallelujah. Hallelujah, because if you're for us, what can be against us? Help us to stand, not in our own strength, but in yours. Not in our own belief, but our belief in you. Not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to see this week what our if-onlys are. And in prayer bring them to you, that you may turn them to our what-if opportunities. That we may serve you and so grow your kingdom. For your name's sake. Amen.